This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Yes, welcome everybody to another episode of Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I am your host, Elon Dubrowski, and I'm streaming live to the world with my very good friend, the fantasy hockey robot himself, Brian Com. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. Thanks for tuning into another playoff edition, playoffs in August edition of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast. We're coming at you on YouTube now, uh, we used to do this, now we're doing it again. We also have a Discord going, we're like, getting as engaged as we possibly can over, uh, like, over this weird playoff scheduling to try and just get into the headspace. We're finding ways to immerse ourselves. In fact, Elon, I'm still coming down from that patron cast we recorded last week where we called it a watch party for the Philly Habs game. But what it meant is that we just talked for the length of the Philly Habs game. There was more talking <laughs> than watching. Yeah, it's hard to call a game, I found, uh, when you don't know all the numbers of the players. You're like, who's who's 16? Oh, that, that was good. And then, like, oh, so how are you doing anyway? But yeah, we, we tried our best. We had some fun. We and the Patriots, we always have fun with the Patriots. But this is a show for not only the Patriots, it's for everyone. And we have got a big one for all of you because now we are a week into the first round of the playoffs, I guess that's called. The first, I guess we had the play-in round. Now this is the first round. I guess we could call it the conference quarterfinals. And because there's games like every single day, we already have a crap load of games to discuss. Some of these series might be over by the time we're done recording. I guess the uh, we're, we started at eight, so I guess probably the Washington Islanders series won't be over, even if the Islanders win. But I guess if the Islanders go up like five nothing by the start of the, you know by the start of the second period, it'll pretty much be over. Anyway, yeah, we got a lot to talk about. There've been a lot of series, and we're just gonna go through each one, give one take per team, one take per series. Right? We're gonna do our classic sixteen teams, sixteen takes episode. Normally it's thirty one and thirty one, but fifteen of those teams. We don't care about them right now, so we're going to talk about the 16 that are technically still in contention at the start of this recording. And that's all of them, right? It's Tuesday. There are no series that have been closed out. I don't know if you want to get into this now, Elon. We have a lot of 3-1 series, which I was lamenting. 3-1 is a really boring series score. So, yeah, it was a weird thing. Brian, this is this is what you get when you join our Discord, is you get Brian dropping a late night, oh, 3-1 is where... In fact, if a series is three games to two, I'm only interested if it was, if it went from 2-2 two, two to 3-2. Two. If it went from 3-1 to 3-2, I don't care about that series. Yeah. Which is like the stupidest thing I've ever heard, I gotta say. 
Yeah, call call me when it's a game seven. If it's a, if it's been three one, to rattle off three wins in a row is is pretty hard. Although likely or very possibly, the team that's up three one has done it. But the team that's up three one has done it, meaning uh, it's even less likely that the other team can pull it off. But I, I you know, so we're just like delaying these inevitable exits from. I sorry, Chicago fans, and sorry, Arizona fans, but it just ain't happening. Like, way to steal a game, but all you did was just delay the inevitable and, like, keep us from getting closure from some of the series in round one uh, as soon as we could have. Honestly, Brian, I wasn't planning on bringing this up. I think this <laughs> makes you sound weird and out of touch. Uh, Boston Carolina has been a great series. There's been, they've been close games. Boston yeah. happens to be up 3-1. I could see Carolina winning the next couple. Get you your uh, game seven. But also, Brian, you know, it's like, just accept the hockey, okay? It's free. We watch it. It's fun. Okay? Like, we, we shouldn't even have hockey in August. So, like, let's just enjoy it. 3-1, 3 schmun. Though, I guess that Habs-Philly uh, game today was was kind of a snore fest. And, uh, but most of the games have been a lot of fun anyway so why don't we get into it sure but if you want to read about any individual game in a series the fantasy angles you can head on over to dauberhockey.com who is going to have all of that every day uh, on the daily means the exact same thing but you can go to dauberhockey.com get the fantasy take the implications of what happened the night before the afternoon before for every playoff game whether the series is 3-1 or 4 nothing, or even if the series are over uh, they do drop in some tidbits about players on an eliminated team so if that's what you're looking for head on over to dauberhockey.com Okay, let's get started with our 16 teams, 16 takes. Let's start with the Boston-Carolina series, which I brought up saying it's been a close series. But yeah, at this point, three games to one for Boston. Impressive for them to be doing just fine, even with David Pasternak having been injured for the last few games. Apparently, he might suit up for game five. If I was Boston, why why rush him if you're up three games to one, right? Though, you never know what could happen. Uh, Interestingly, with Pasternak out, we've been seeing Charlie Coyle jump up to the top line with Marshawn and Bergeron and also on on the top power play with Marshawn, Bergeron, Krejci, and Krug, which is almost like a nice thing to see separately that David Krejci and not Jake DeBrusque has been on the top power play. It's like great for Krejci. And Brian, you picked him in the round two keeping Carlson playoff pool. He wasn't even drafted in my round two draft, and you are reaping the benefits because Krejci obviously enjoys being on the top power play, and he's also doing really well at even strength. Like, I don't know, lots of interesting players to talk about on Boston. So I could talk, you choose, Brian. We could talk about Coyle playing on the top line. We can talk about Krejci really lighting it up this round, taking advantage of his power play time. Or we can talk about Krejci's line mates, Jake DeBrusque, who's always there. And Andre Kasha, someone who you've loved forever. I remember you dropped like this really bold prediction that he was going to light it up in Boston and you weren't looking too smart until recently where Kasha has really heated up. He had two assists in the last game, both goals by Jake DeBrusque, by the way, and probably even more impressive, Kasha has 12 shots through the four games, which I know is a stat that made you fall in love with Kasha in the first place. So obviously still lots of playoffs to go. As of now, I feel like uh, you're going to have to put your neck out again next year and call Kasha a sleeper and hopefully not look bad. Or maybe uh, have you been, you know, bitten once, twice shy or whatever that saying is. So yeah, I've chosen for you. Let's talk about Andre Kasha. You love him. Tell us why. Well, I love Andre Kasha because at one point in his career, like you said, he was throwing shots towards the net uh, with like endless 
regularity. That's a that's not a great superlative, but he was really fantastic at just throwing pucks on net, racking up shots. But there were two things stopping him. One was deployment. It didn't seem like he could really get his foot in the door to steady, consistent top six deployment, whether that meant the line mates or the minutes. They just weren't both coming uh, in any consistent way. And the other piece was his health, right? He's always had an injury lurking. Often, like, he's had a lot of head injuries. So we can never be too certain that Andre Kasha is going to be healthy or is fully healthy and feeling ready to completely engage in a hockey game. But when things are going well, when he is healthy, and when he is playing in the top six, and when he's playing with David freaking Krejci, somebody who you know I love to extol the virtues of, is one of the best fantasy players to own in the last 10 or 15 years. Yes, look it up. I have a long record of saying this. Uh, that's great news for Andre Kasha. Also great news is that we're seeing a change from what he's Kasha is doing now compared to what he did when he first came to Boston. When he first came to Boston, uh, yeah, he got buried real quick, seemed to fall out of favor fast. But now he's getting another 90 seconds per night, these playoffs, compared to when he first got to Boston. And of course, uh, playing with David Krejci is a is a beautiful thing. Let's talk about Krejci for a minute here, I, like because I think he's the one we really need to talk about. I could be like, Kasha, I was right, but really, he just has one of the uh, like fantastic setup men in the league to work with. And David Krejci, Krejci, by the way, up to two goals and five assists for seven points in five games. He's on a five-game point streak going back to the final round Robin game against Washington, which means that he's pointed every single game in this Carolina series and is tied with Brad Marchand for the team lead in playoff points with seven, as I mentioned, which is three more than the next closest guys, one of them being Patrice Bergeron. I think Charlie McAvoy is also up there. Krejci's also ranked third amongst forwards in timeline. I see someone they count on. And uh, he's always, always forgotten and underrated. I remember when I was drafting my uh, Keeping Carlson Playoff Pool team, I we, we have a group chat, you and I, with Ben and Lewis of Short Shifts. And uh, I was like pretty much just looking for permission to draft Krejci and get a sense of when was the right time. Because uh, he's never on anyone's radar, but he's always on mine. And I, sometimes that means I take him too early. Sometimes it means I take him too late because he actually is on one other person's radar. But I was looking at Krejci, uh, Christian Dvorak, or Nick Suzuki. And the answers I got back, uh, all credit to you. Like I ask you guys because I trust you, but Krejci was erased from the question. He was not even considered. Uh, Dvorak went right after I took Krejci with the next pick. Suzuki, I got two rounds later with my 10th overall pick, but I got Krejci. I guess I picked sixth in the eighth round, so it was about 50th pick overall. Uh, and I couldn't... What a brag. What a long brag I here. Be yes, happier. you made a smart pick of Krejci. Good for you. All I'm saying is drafts Krejci, be happy. Well, okay, the thing with David Krejci, which I think I already alluded to, is he's great when he's on the top power play, which, like, never happens. Otherwise, it's hard for him to get too much of an opportunity to get points. He's got three of his six points in this series so far versus Carolina have come on the yeah, power he, play. So, so that's- and he still has four points in five games. So, yeah, with the power play, he becomes this, like, above-a-point-per-game player. Without it, the thing that makes him so valuable is, is he's still a 55-60 point guy, and then sometimes he gets on this power play to help his value. One guy, by the way, like great for Kasha to take advantage of it. Uh, Jake DeBrusque needs to take better advantage. He's always played with David Krejci. He's never taken advantage. He was on my watch list at the start of these playoffs. He's about to get kicked off. Like he had that multi-goal game, which is great. 
two goals in a game, but that's pretty much all we've seen from Jake DeBrusque these playoffs. And if you can't make it with Krejci, it's like the opposite of New York, mm-hmm. New York. If you can't make it with Krejci, you can't make it anywhere. Yeah. And uh, okay. <laughs> Very good. Brian loves this, David Krejci. This concludes the David Krejci appreciation portion of this episode, probably. Okay, cool. And obviously we should say like Brad Marchand is killing it, but like, it's like, that's not even a hot take. It's not interesting because he's always great, but we should point out that he's leading right now the, this round of the playoffs for whatever that's worth. I don't really like counting the play in rounds, but just looking at since August 11th, when this first round started, uh, seven points in four games for Brad Marchand. So pretty crazy. Uh, yeah. And Brian, I guess that uh, Charlie Coyle, you were also a big fan of him. So I got, you must be a Bruins fan right you love Krejci you love Kasha you used to be a big Charlie Coyle guy uh, oh, yeah. so... but just to be just to be clear I'm not anymore like he, he claimed to fame as I mentioned every time he was traded one for one for Brent Burns uh, and of course that didn't go so well for uh, Minnesota trading uh, Brent Burns to San Jose so like the expectation was always um, really high from Charlie Coyle, and he never quite was able to provide more than a middle six player, which I, I think he's a reliable middle sixer. I don't think he's any better than that. And I also am already checking myself. It was not a one-for-one deal. Uh, Charlie Coyle was traded from San Jose with Devin Setaguchi and the first-round pick in 2011, who became Zach Phillips, to the wild for Brent Burns and a pick that became Pontus Aberg. Oh, I've heard of Pontus Aberg. Yeah. I think we talked about him a couple times on the show. Hey, but don't sell Coil short. He's been a really solid piece for this Bruins team. Yeah, not a fantasy superstar, but right now he'd be a great DFS pick, right? Because, uh, well, if Pasternak doesn't play in this next game, as he might, but if he doesn't, you got Charlie Coyle, right? Like I said, top line, top power play, and he's taking advantage. He has three points in these last four games. So that's the Bruins talk. Let's go over to Carolina because we're going to do one take per team here. Uh, Svechnikov fell awkwardly after getting tangled up with Chara on Saturday's game, likely ending what has been a fantastic playoff run for him, a very short, but yeah, like Svechnikov, we already know he's great so that wasn't surprising and it's really disappointing for carolina to lose and like they get hamilton back and they lose sveshnikov come on like this team can't catch a break uh, interestingly it's been vincent trocek who's taken over sveshnikov's spot on the top power plate even strength trocek's been playing with dezingle and justin williams at least in yesterday's game i should point out this is tuesday so monday's game uh, no power play points for trocek yet he assisted on justin williams's first period goal for what it's worth overall he's done nothing in these playoffs he has two assists in seven games now continuing by the way his two points in seven regular season games he played for the Hurricanes after getting traded from the Panthers. Man, this uh, Vincent Trocek, he's fallen. Like, remember, he was so great. He had that season where he had, like, 70-plus points on Florida. Then he fell to, like, a 50-55 point guy on the Panthers over the past couple of seasons. Now he's, like, pretty much fantasy irrelevant on Carolina. Maybe you take advantage of some of those hits, but he does not face-offs, I guess. Brian, I've got a comparison for you. Obviously, it's too early, but I'm just curious to get your take here. Is Vincent Trocek this generation's Jonathan Chichu? Oh, my God. Chichu had that one amazing season where everyone was like, oh my god, this guy's amazing. Out of nowhere, Chichu obviously was even higher than Trocek, right? Chichu had 56 goals and 93 points in one season. Then the following year, a very steep fall, still relevant. He fell to 69 points. Then he fell to 37, then 29, then 14. Then he was out of the league. That was it. Chichu. He was there, then he was gone. A lot of people say, well, he played with Joe Thornton, but, you know, Vincent Trocek was on that top power play. I remember that's why we were saying that he was so great. You know, this is like in hindsight when he started going down. It's like, oh, clearly he missed playing on the top power play with Barkov and Huberdo and all these great superstars. And as soon as he lost that deployment, he kind of disappeared. And now on Carolina, yeah, he's a depth guy right now. He's on the top power play. So maybe as you're listening to this tomorrow, he's scoring a power play goal and getting people excited about him again. But yeah, Trocek, man, what happened to that guy? 
I, I don't even know where to begin with this comparison. Like, is Jonathan Chichu just the one, like, the, the first guy who came to mind when you thought of someone who had one good season and then disappeared? Well, I was trying to think of, like, you know, a steep fall. But, like, I was thinking more like a great season, then a decent season, and then, like, yeah, continually getting worse and worse. Yeah, that was the example that came to my mind. Someone that came out of nowhere with an amazing season and then slowly fell. Do you have another name that you want to throw out there? Uh, no, no, I just... Okay, you just want to judge just, my name, uh, yeah, but not actually I'm just gonna, throw out a better well, one. Well, here, I'm going to I'm gonna throw you a bone here. I'm going to give you two reasons why this is an okay analogy. Uh, the first is that uh, Chichu's breakout season happened when he was 25 years old. He was 24 years old during the season that was canceled due to the lockout. Trocek's breakout season came when he was 24 years old. So, like, they broke out around the same time. The other thing they had in common with each other's breakout seasons is that the following season, they both lost about two minutes of time on ice per night. So their deployment crashed for no apparent reasons. Like you have the season of your life and then it's like, ah, you know, we're actually not going to put you on the ice as much, even though you were incredible every time you were on it. Except I do think Chichu relied more on Joe Thornton than Trocek relied on whoever else. Um, the thing with with Vincent Trocek uh, that really hurt him after his breakout season, why I don't think he's had a really fair shot to repeat it, even though we've been open to the idea of him doing so, is that that drop in deployment that we mentioned, like it just started small. He lost two minutes. Uh, I'm going to give you the actual numbers just because it'll help illustrate. He saw uh, 21 minutes in his 54-point uh, season where he first uh, at 23, and then he saw just over 21 minutes when he had 75 points at age 24. The next season, he had uh, 19 and a half minutes. The next season, 16 and a half minutes. Like this guy, he lost almost five minutes of ice per night in two years. And the like, I still don't totally know the story why. All I know is that his deployment cratered and so did his opportunity to, to produce. You mentioned his power play production uh, and how he relied on that. Of course he did. He had 13 power play goals when he was on the top power play, but he never got the chance to do that again. And that was essentially the difference between his career year and the year that followed it. If he was able to tack on those 13 power play goals again, no one would have even said he dropped off. They would have said, hey, two great seasons for Vincent Trocek. So uh, Trocek remains this sort of curious player who is probably a 55-point guy if he's just used the way most teams tend to use uh, – most teams, the two teams he's been on, tend to use him as like a second what line. The two <laughs> what? Not Carolina. They don't use him as a – he's been a bottom sixer. Yeah, yeah. Florida used him in that way. Also, I love how you're saying that it's, like, a bad comparison. That basically you're giving all the reasons why they're, like, exactly the same. Like, and also, one more thing. And, again, I like Vincent Trocek, and I'm just asking this to be controversial. But, uh, by the way, when a player's deployment goes down, I know you love to just jump and be like, oh – what are the coaches doing? If they just gave him more minutes, he'd do better. But it's like a player has to earn their deployment. Some I know you like to think that like the coaches don't know that no. much, but I, I think <laughs> no, no, no. I, I said like, maybe he's not earning the deployment in practice and in games, and maybe they're saying, "Oh, this guy doesn't deserve it." Like Carolina's a deep team; yeah. they don't have room for him up there. Man, my my mind is wide open to that. I said I don't know why he's lost those five minutes. I don't know if he started playing differently. I don't know if he, like the coach wanted different things or he changed coaches. He's changed teams. But yeah, he seems to not be able to win the favor of his coach the way he did for two seasons. His his third and fourth full years in the NHL when he saw twenty one minutes 
of ice per night. And now with Carolina, yeah, he's down below 16 minutes per night, which is crazy because usually if you can find a forward who can be uh, strong two ways like Trojek has been, it's like, yeah, you're going to play him 20 minutes because you put him out in offensive situations, you put him out in defensive situations. But clearly, uh, he's not trusted in either right now. And I, I, I can't be sure why. So what I would say is at his peak, Trocek is a 55-point player with huge upside if he does get the the deployment. But I don't know if he's at his peak anymore. Like, I don't know if he lost a step. Um, remember, he had that, like, crazy uh, injury. Uh, I think it was in a game yeah, against yeah. Ottawa where, like, you know, you wondered if his career was over. Uh, and he somehow only missed, like, 30 games that year. But um, it was just curious to, to, like, I wonder if maybe that, has made him lose a step or lose some of what made him this this second lined two way forward that could see twenty one minutes a game. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, things haven't been the same since then. Obviously, Brian, I just love to josh you. Uh, very good points. And uh, yeah, I'm just saying that Trocek, you're, you're on Chichu watch. I'm, I'm not saying he's Chichu yet, but he's he's trending you in need- a Chichu like uh, direction. I just think you need a better comparable because Chichu is so so straightforward. It was Thornton and not Thornton. Trocek, I don't think it's so straightforward. Okay. Well, let's see next year. If he puts up a 37-point pace, then I think that will be uh, following the pattern. (laughs) If anybody wants to suggest another player who had one or two really great years and then tailed off for reasons that were never fully explained or understood, please suggest them to us at Keevan Carlson. Yeah, we got people in the chat room here. Gohol, Matthew... David, hit, hit us up because Brian doesn't like mine, and so I'm, I'm waiting for something better. All right, so that's the, that's that series, Boston and Carolina. I'm hoping it goes longer because that's been a really fun series to watch, and it'll be fun to see Pasternak come back, and that would obviously be bad news for Carolina. Maybe they should make a deal. Like, Pasternak could only come back if Sveshnikov comes back. Uh, okay, so then you go to uh, Calgary-Dallas. Let's talk about them. Their game five just finished today. So, Brian, one of your favorite types of series is it was 2-2 going into today. Oh, yeah. So now it's three. <laughs> So now it's 3-2, the good kind of 3-2. Dallas won today. They edged out the Flames 2-1. So a a tight checking game, I suppose. I didn't watch it after admit I had to work. How lame is that? Okay, the Flames, by the way, also suffering from injuries. They've been without Matthew Kachuk for a couple of games, including for today's game. The big beneficiary before today was Sam Bennett, who jumped onto the top power play and said he had a huge two-goal, one-assist game in Sunday's OT loss to the Stars. In fact, that whole third line... Of on Calgary of Bennett, Lucic, and Dubay has been like surprisingly uh, noticeable in this playoffs. They were pretty much invisible all season. Uh, Lucic, like especially, it's like that guy seems to have completely fallen off, but he's had a decent enough playoffs. I hear people talking about him. Dylan Dubay had goals in three straight games from the final game versus Winnipeg through the first two games versus Dallas. Uh, pointless in the two games since, but three shots on goal in each. Let's see how that line did today, Brian. So uh, Dubay, another three shot game. But no points, unfortunately. Lucic back to uh, a complete zeros across the board. And then who's the other guy? Oh, yeah, Sam Bennett. Five shots. So he's doing something. And he was still on the top power play. But obviously in this 2-1 to one loss, uh, it was only Mikhail Backlund's unassisted goal that registered for Calgary. So, okay, what's my take here? I guess my take is just Dylan Dubé or Sam Bennett. Are either of these guys like more on your radar now than before? Or has it just been a, a lucky stretch and Bennett, you know, benefited from Kachuk being injured, and that's obviously not going to happen too often? Like going to next year's drafts, are you even going to be thinking at all about Bennett or Dubé? They're still pretty young, 
right? But also, they've pretty much had been written off by most people as any fantasy type of asset. Yeah, well, Lucic deserves to be written off. He's an old man. Sam Bennett, somehow, is still just 24. Like, he just turned 24, even though this is his fifth full-time season as an NHLer. So, I suppose you could say there is hope. My knee-jerk reaction responds to your question, uh, can we expect anything from Lucic, Bennett, and Dubay, is no, like, why would we? Uh, these guys are not Dubay, but Ben and Lucic have shown us nothing for years now. And Dubay's just like this up and comer playing on the third line. Uh, and then, by the way, does this line have a name yet? It needs a name. I humbly propose the Ben Dulu Creme line in Calgary. <laughs> Uh, That's pretty good. Thanks. They need to like make it to the next round, I think, before this line gets <laughs> named. But if they can win the next two games, get past Dallas, then maybe we can go with the Ben de la Creme, because that's pretty fun. Okay, so uh, why am I actually into these guys, though? And I'm into them because Bennett and Dubé are actually leading the Flames in five-on-five points per 60 these playoffs. And I'm like, okay, they probably have insane on-ice shooting percentages. Like, something is weird. Uh I don't see anything so weird. Like, I'm not going to say this line does not deserve what they've been getting. These three, Lucic, Bennett, and Dubois, and Matthew Kachuk, are the only forwards on Calgary seeing a greater than 50% share of the expected goals scored while they're on the ice through these playoffs. Meanwhile, you have Goudreau and Lindholm just getting destroyed, like, destroyed uh so his monahan to a slightly lesser extent but golly gee these are like they're putting up super embarrassing numbers from a top line and then you have this third line of what you would categorize as, as pluggers and plucky plucky upstarts uh somehow pulling it off and being uh being the trio most likely to put up a goal uh compared to the their competition when they're on the ice so um they're kind of on my radar. It's hard to really put Bennett and Lucic on my radar. Very hard to put Lucic on my radar. Kind of hard to put Bennett on my radar just because we've had hope. We haven't seen anything. And I think Calgary's lost hope too. Uh, he's been rumored to be someone on the trade market for a while. Maybe a fresh start. Maybe this is a, this is reason to believe that a fresh start will help him. But this Dylan Dubé guy, I, I don't know. I want to, I want to get into him. He's got either NHL breakout potential or perennial AHL leading scorer. Uh, and we'll see which one comes to fruition. And the reason I say, like, he has this, he's, he's got this profile of like an AHL leading scorer. He's second round pick, 56 overall in 2016. So has some pedigree, undersized, five foot 11, 185. That game works better in the AHL than it does in the NHL. Uh, he had a good world juniors tourney back in 2018, five points in seven games for Canada. And in his AHL career, 56 points in 56 AHL games. So he has nothing left to do there. So now, I would just love to see him get more and more deployment in the NHL. So I'm watching Dubay. I'm not sure how much upward mobility he has in that Calgary top six, but maybe, I don't know, definitely a pipe dream. I was going to say maybe if that first line keeps struggling, he gets a turn, but I don't think Calgary is going to screw with things too much, especially when they are now on the brink of elimination. Yeah, maybe not. But of course, there's always next year. Yeah, Calgary, man, like if they end up getting eliminated in the next game, like Goudreau, Monaghan, like already had down years this year. Now with a kind of disappointing playoffs, like definitely, like you say, the underlying numbers haven't been pretty. And overall, like Goudreau has three points in five games now. Like they're not uh, producing like these superstar players that we saw a couple years ago and they all had those huge breakouts. Uh, Over on Dallas... 
the main players who've been breaking out there in this series, and you got to commend them. I think this has been a coming out party for Miro Haskinen, really showing up as like a top defenseman in the league in terms of like, first of all, just looking at points, he has now four points in five games, which is solid. No points today. But the, these minutes that Haskinen is playing every single game, he's leading the team in ice time. He's getting like, there was one game where he had 28 minutes. And the other guy is uh, John Klingberg, who doesn't get as many even strength minutes, but he's getting a decent amount of power play time. And Klingberg scored another goal today. He's now up to six points in five games in the series. Brian, I drafted him. You were bragging so much about your Krejci pick in the KKPP. I got Klingberg with my last round pick. Wowza. Wowza, right? My leading scorer. And Klingberg, he's like a couple years removed from being like a 70-plus point defenseman. Then he totally disappointed everyone this year. And we've been having all these chats on the Facebook group and on Discord about like who are the... I'm always like fascinated by defensemen lately because I feel like it's such a horizontal landscape where it's so hard to to pick like who's going to be the leading scorer of defensemen next year. I feel like there's like nine guys. Maybe we'll talk about it later. I think I have a plan to talk about it later. Like all the guys on my radar that could potentially lead defensemen next year. But like Klingberg wasn't even in that conversation. Like he's kind of fallen off. Now at this playoffs, like, I wonder if he's going to enter that conversation. I wonder if Haskinen, you know, he might be on the precipice of also being in that conversation. Maybe it could be like a Carlson-Brent Burns situation because the Dallas forwards aren't producing that well. Their leading forward scorer in the series so far is Jamie Benn with four points in five games. We know that's not going to be sustainable for a full season. Sagan has three points. It's Klingberg and Haskinen leading the way offensively. Very exciting for Dallas. This team, by the way, like, on paper, they look amazing because they do have all these you know, underperforming forwards that should be good. Then they have these, like, two elite defensemen. They have two goalies who are really good, especially when Bishop is healthy, of course. So, yeah, I feel like, uh, watch out for this Dallas team. I I think Calgary's pretty much done. Okay, so I'm just gonna start there by saying, like you mentioned, they're underperforming forwards. I don't think the forwards in Dallas are underperforming anymore. I think this is all by design. I think they're performing exactly the way they're expected to, which makes the Stars team a really difficult team to ever want to draft a player from for as long as they play this style. It's very apt that Miro Haskinen and John Klingberg are leading their team in scoring. By the way, Haskinen, I'm also like super amazed by 21 years old, uh, point per game player through eight playoff games, plus three shots per game, 24 and a half minutes on average, including bigger responsibilities as Dallas goes deeper. He kind of reminds me of... Maybe what we wanted Charlie McAvoy to round into is being someone who might not be on the top power play, but can still help create offense when he's uh, like on the ice at five on five. But unlike McAvoy, he's going to shoots the puck and gets a lot of points. So, uh, it's just what we wanted McAvoy to be, I think, is what Haskinen is turning out to be. <laughs> I mean, let's not write off McAvoy just yet because next year is going to be a big year for him because Krug is an unrestricted free agent. Maybe next year, Haskinen and McAvoy will both in the same season break out as like super fantasy, like relevant defense. Like they're already relevant, like 50 plus point defensemen. I think that's totally reasonable to expect. Sure, sure. But what I'm saying is that we saw McAvoy as maybe being the ceiling for what uh, uh, someone not on the top power play pair could do, who's young right, and breaking into the league. So that's the that's more the the analogy I'm trying to make. By the way, what's even wilder about Haskinen and Klingberg leading the Stars that stacked Stars team up front in scoring is that uh, these numbers aren't totally up to date, but Pavelski's hat trick got him to five points. Uh, so, but without that, going into today's game, Jamie Alexiak was actually the number three scorer on the Dallas Stars. Their top three scorers were defensemen. Ben and Radulov were tied with Alexiak, but still, I'm going to just call it uh, that the top three 
point getters in Dallas were defensemen, which is just super rare. Uh, that's not the case anymore with Ben's points today. Also, one name that we were sort of keeping an eye on in Dallas that we haven't seen anything come from, Jason Dickinson has uh, not done anything. Now, that's not, again, what I what I said at the start about this Dallas team, that no one's underperforming because their expectations are already pretty much zero. I think I'm just ready to to put him in that category. But he was someone who I, I would have loved to see at least a flash of something here and there. Maybe there's still time. I mean, Dallas is winning games, so obviously we can't complain. And next year there might be a new coach, right? We'll see how they do. Maybe Rick Bonus is earning himself uh, an extension as the coach of Dallas, depending on how far they get in the playoffs. But who knows? Maybe they'll be more offensive next year, which no. would, of course, be good. Why would they Why be? They're getting this far playing lockdown defense, which is a, a style that they can play thanks to their goalie, Ben Bishop. I, why would they change? Don't forget that Hudobin's been playing a lot of the games. But yeah, uh, I don't know. But things happen. Things change. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, it's nice to see that if Klingberg... All I'm saying is if Klingberg and Haskinen could get all of these points on this, like, defensive-minded team, imagine if, like, this team started getting more goals. That's why I'm, I'm excited about these defensemen, basically, is my conclusion. Okay. It's like, I feel like we're looking at potential, like, two sixty plus maybe even 70-plus point defensemen next season. Yeah, it's just very weird. You're like, but maybe they'll get more offensive next year, but we have no reason to believe that, especially if the coach stays in place. Well, yeah, but maybe it won't. Maybe he won't. Because he's only an interim coach at the moment. Yeah. So we'll see. Okay. It's all speculation. Okay, about these defensemen, by the way, I do have the list here of these players I've been talking about, like Makar, Hughes, Carlson, Burns, like the other Carlson. I'll let you figure out which Carlson was which. Yozy, Hamilton, Dalene, Hedman. Like, these are the guys I was saying could all be in that conversation. And yeah, I'm curious to know, do you think that someone like Klingberg or Haskinen will join that conversation next year? Or do you think I'm getting like too ahead of myself? Or maybe this is even like a silly question because who the heck knows? Well, I just finished saying that I can't see Dallas scoring a whole lot more goals next year than they sure, did this year. Right. So that definitely limits what Hayskinen and Klingberg can do. I wouldn't put them up into that lofty air. It was It's always been hard to choose between them because we didn't know who would be the top power play guy. It's been Klingberg. I don't know if that changes next year. Like, we'll just be asking this question all over again. So uh, my answer to you, Elon, is that they're both worth drafting, but they're not worth reaching for. I, I wouldn't say. Yeah, I, th- I think that's fair. Yeah, maybe this playoffs is going to elevate their value a little too high. Maybe if you have, especially like a Klingberg type in a dynasty league, maybe now's a good time to try to sell him because he might be at an all-time high value because Haskinen clearly is the main guy there. I think it's just a matter of time before Haskinen does take over on the top power play. Or if not, well, yeah, I, I think it maybe it could be like a Philly situation, maybe like, because I hope that Klingberg won't fall as much as Gosses Beher did. But it, it took Provorov a couple years to usurp Gosses Beher, but now like Provorov is the top power play defense. And so I could see the same thing happening. But maybe Adelson, yeah, Still take a couple of seasons. Uh, so, Brian, speaking of some of these under-the-radar players, and Haskinen and Klingberg, you know, they aren't them, but we talked about guys on Boston, like Charlie Coyle and Andre Kasha getting points out of nowhere. Let's say you're listening to this podcast, and you're like, this is great information for, like, next year, but I want to use it now, but I've already drafted my playoff pools. I already blew it. I already drafted like Edmonton Oilers players and they're done well you still can play fantasy hockey and do drafts whenever you want because of this great service out there called DraftKings and DraftKings is actually the sponsor of our episode and this whole series of episodes during the playoffs so how about I'm just gonna take a quick second and tell you Brian who you already know about them but I'm gonna tell you anyways and the listeners all about DraftKings okay you ready ready 
Okay, strap in. So yeah, sure, the regular season is fun and all, but only one thing can compare to the excitement of playoffs, and that is DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports. Both basketball and hockey have entered their respective playoffs, and DraftKings is putting you in the center of the action. You can win millions in prizes throughout the week, and there is no better place to make it rain, so you could start playing for free with your first deposit today. And if you haven't tried it before, daily fantasy sports, it's super easy to play. You draft your players, you stay under the salary it's not like a draft where you take turns. You just, you got the whole list of players in front of you. Each of them have a salary. You got to stay under the cap. You pile up the points based off of your player's performance. You see at the end of the night, how your team did. Or not even at the end of the night. You can watch it throughout. It's very exciting. It updates in real time. It's a real modern website and app. Plus, there's no better way to put your sports knowledge to the test than to compete for millions of dollars in prizes throughout the week. But if Daily Fantasy isn't for you, DraftKings just launched Best Ball Contest for football season. If you aren't familiar with Best Ball, go ahead and go to the app now. And check it out. Brian, you've been setting up a DraftKings League for our patrons. We've been playing it a lot. It's been a lot of fun, but you can even play for free, which is fun. Or you can put some money on it. Brian, why don't you tell the listeners the rest of the story of all the fun we've been having with DraftKings? Sure. Uh, the rest of the story is that, yeah, we have this league where we have a daily contest, and it's a, it's a free entry. We just we, we, we just do it for fun, but we, we don't have to. Uh, and uh, so there's about 10 of us who are playing these, like, daily contests, and it keeps track of who has won the most contests to date, and so far that person is... Guess. Is it you? It's me! You. I've won wow. twice. Elon is still looking for his first win. I'm sure you'll get there, pal. You can also get your first win if you download the DraftKings app and use the promo code Carlson as in Eric's last name to play free with your first deposit today. Compete for millions of dollars in total prizes up for grabs this week. That's promo code Carlson to get a shot at millions of dollars in prizes all week only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required and eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings kings.com for details okay so brian let's go now to our next series in our 16 takes episode let's talk about colorado and arizona which i think you were right in the last episode this is kind of looking like a bit of a mismatch in hindsight colorado they're just so good Uh, did you see kale mccarr's goal yesterday like we used to think that tyson barry was really good now mccarr is proving to be this like huge upgrade already like as a 21 year old it's like colorado's so much better now that they have mccarr instead of barry like i don't know brian you tell me like i feel like you got to give joe sackick and his like you know management team whoever helps make these these decisions like they deserve so much credit like they took this already great team and in the matter of just like 12 months like like in a very short amount of time they shore up their depth in a big way they got like Kadri in that trade for Barry which is turning out to look really really good they got Burakovsky Don's going to Chushkin and Mesnikov plus I was looking back remember that deal when they sent Matt Duchesne to the Sens, and then also Nashville was involved, and they got Kyle Turris. In that deal, Colorado got Sam Girard, who's now like one of their big minute munching defensemen, and they got the pick that turned into Bowen Byram a couple years ago. Like, uh, like, uh, kudos to this Colorado management team that's taken a good team, made them amazing. Oh, they brought in Francouz also to back up Grubauer, so they have this awesome tandem in net. So, you know, at this point, we both picked Vegas to win the cup this year. Uh, and I like what I've seen from Vegas, but I think if I could pick again right now, I'd probably switch to the Avs. Like, this team just seems so stacked. Um, what do you think? So uh, I think the Avs are doing amazing. I think they're still one of the favorites in the West. I'm not changing my pick from Vegas. I, I mean, of course they're going to look dominant against Arizona. And here we go back into my rant about how certain teams probably shouldn't be playing 
right now. Like all, all the power to Arizona, right? They had an opportunity. They took it. They got in. But they weren't a playoff team. And what we're seeing now is one of the cup favorites beating up on a non-playoff team in the first round. So, of course, Colorado looks amazing. Uh, this is the competition. Of course, this is why Vegas looks amazing, too. So, uh, again, I don't want to throw any undue shade on Arizona. That's not my point. What I'm saying is, uh, of course, Colorado looks great this round. So good on them for keeping it up. Although I, I suppose some people would have said the same thing about Tampa last season before their series against Columbus. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I'm not really seeing anything that surprises me or makes me want to change any of my projections. Not to say that Colorado isn't a favorite to win the cup for me, but I still am going with Vegas. Yeah, that's fair. And anyways, why, why change your pick, right? That that takes away the fun. So I'm going to stick with Vegas as well, but it doesn't matter what we say. We'll see what happens. I really hope that we get to see this Colorado-Vegas series at some point. Right now, that's probably the series I'm most looking forward to, more than even what the cup final would be. I guess uh, Tampa Bay versus one of these teams would also be fun. But yeah, Colorado versus Vegas is shaping up to be a really great matchup. Uh, you said you didn't want to beat up on Arizona. I'm going to beat up on them <laughs> a little bit because... They're not doing great. Also, one particular player who I talked up in the past couple of episodes, Phil Kessel, who, like, I was so shocked that after a season of doing nothing, he seemed to have reinvigorated himself during the off time that he had. And come the play-in rounds, he was on the top line, top power play. He had a really good series versus Nashville. And now he's totally disappeared. He's already lost Rick Tockett's trust, I guess, because he's off the top line. He's off the top power play. He was playing with Garland and Dvorak and on the second power play yesterday before Garland got injured. Uh, no points in four games this round for Kessel. He's someone I drafted in the Keeping Carlson playoff pool, so that was my one big mistake. Uh, my team's overall pretty good, but that Phil Kessel, I, I wish, you know, like that's why I like fantasy in regular life, like the type where you get to do ad drops and stuff, because when I have a glaring mistake like that on my roster, I need to purge it so that my roster could look nice and I could like enjoy staring at it. But now I keep staring at this like zero point Phil Kessel. So maybe he'll do something I'm not expecting him to. And Brian, please slap me in the face next time I get excited about Kessel on the podcast again, because it's not going to last. Okay. You remind me that I said that. I saw a gif of him taking a slap shot, which it felt like I was in an alternate universe. Phil Kessel does not take slap shots. So so at least he's trying new things, Elon, to help your fantasy team and his own real life team. But yeah, uh, Phil Kessel and anyone in Arizona, it, it just wasn't meant to be. And it's not really, I wouldn't say it's fair to create any opinion based on how they're doing against Colorado over the course of four or five games when Colorado is, you know, firing on all cylinders and perfectly healthy so uh like I, I wouldn't read into it too much but that said i'm not holding my breath for kessel to be uh, anything better than like maybe upside for 60 points going forward yeah that i think would be a huge win for him <laughs> that would make him fantasy relevant and i don't know if he's going to be that next season and yeah you say it was like wasn't meant to be he's there like he's in arizona now he's got a big contract i don't think that he's it's gonna have to be meant to be or it's gonna have just a really sad slow ending because he's not going anywhere I don't think and yeah we'll see if he could ever get back into good deployment maybe when Taylor Hall's gone they'll just have no choice uh one guy who's looked good except for in that last game when Colorado completely destroyed them but Colorado kind of completely destroyed them every game the one person keeping them in and even getting them a win was Darcy Kemper who has really proven himself to be one of the top goalies in the league Brian you one of the most world famous Darcy Kemper skeptics finally changed your mind recently on our Facebook group you were like okay 
I'm sold. I think he might even be a top three to five goalie in the league. Uh, do you want to care to share? Like, I, I, you know, we don't have to like have a debate or whatever in goalies. It's so hard to know and, and project because they change so often. But what was it like? What data did you see that finally got you to change your opinion about Camper after all these years? He's just been so consistently good. I mean, yeah, he had a couple letdowns leading up to the uh, blow up against Colorado in game four of their series. But going into that, he had a 933 save percentage over seven games against Nashville and Colorado, which is out of this world. Like that, that's very, very impressive. And it's just been like, this is what he's done. And the line that I used to throw out about Kemper, which is that, oh, he, he's really benefits from Arizona's defensive play. Since he arrived in Arizona, I took another look. They're like, on average, they're an average team. They're middle of the pack in how well they protect their goalie. And maybe they play a system that suits him. Uh, maybe they do lean a little bit more defensively. But we have, uh, I remember in our 31 Beats interview with Richard Morin, he's just like, yeah, they're working. Like, Rick Tockett might not be a defensive coach. He's just working with the tools he has, which is a really fantastic goalie and a team that has some offensive challenges. So, uh, like, I, I don't think it's fair to take away from Kemper the fact that he plays for Arizona because they're not so great at defending him. In fact, if you played in Minnesota still, you could say that about him. And he did play in Minnesota, and they and, and he blew it there. Uh, but something has changed, and, and I'm sold. I've seen it for long enough that Darcy Kemper is a legit top-end goalie in the league. And one other thing that sealed the deal for me was I looked at the five-on-five save percentage and Delta Fenwick save percentage of every goalie who's seen regular minutes in the league since 2018, which is when Kemper landed in Arizona. And Delta Fenwick save percentage basically uh, takes your expected Fenwick save percentage, which is based on the difficulty of your workload and compares it to your actual Fenwick save percentage, which is based on not just shots that hit you if you're a goalie, but shots that miss the net as well that aren't blocked and they miss the net. And I guess the idea behind that is that if a goalie is cutting off the right angles, uh, a, a goalie can force a shooter to miss. And maybe we should be giving goalie credit for when a shooter misses the net. So uh, all that said, uh, Darcy Kemper outperformed his expected Fenwick save percentage by more than almost any other goalie in the league since 2018. The only guys ahead of him, Ben Bishop, Robin Lander, and Anton Hudobin. Uh, that's it. And behind him, Halak, Bennington, Georgiev, Gibson, Grice, and Halibuck. So this isn't a random stat. Like These are all players, goalies, that we've seen do really well in the last few years. And there's some goalies way down the list who we haven't seen do well. So so to me, this list made sense. And I see Darcy can be ranked fourth in the league by this metric since the start of 2018. And I'm sold. I, I don't think there's anything more to see. Of course, now that I'm finally bought in, the wheels uh, fell off. Uh, he gave up four goals on, what, 22 shots. Uh, again, I can't blame him. If I'm Darcy Kemper uh, facing the workload I've been facing against Colorado like he, it, it, and Nashville, he saw more than 40 shots against in three of the four games against Nashville. He saw 52 shots in one of them. Then he saw 40 shots against Colorado in game one. 51 shots against in game three. 
Like this guy must be exhausted. He's essentially seeing double the workload of what an NHL goalie should normally expect to be seeing. So I, I forgive the collapse and I hope that me finally getting behind and endorsing him and pumping his tires doesn't mean that it's all over for Darcy Kemper. Yeah, if you're saying like 51 saves, isn't that how many around how many saves Vasilevsky had in that like four overtime game <laughs> yeah. against Columbus? Yeah. Uh, okay, so Darcy Kemper is great and he'll probably still be able to get him at a discount in drafts next year because no one gives him any credit and people are going to be rushing to get your hello bucks and of course your vasilevskis and for good reason because those teams actually get you wins but if you want a good save percentage you're probably not going to find a better one than from darcy kemper like reliably of course there's going to be some random goalie every year that shoots up and has an amazing save percentage and also saves by the way if your league count saves oh, Kemper's yeah. great there because arizona like you said is letting in a lot of shots lately uh so let's talk about vasilevsky now and his competitor Eunice corpusala let's talk about the tampa versus columbus series brian this is the type of series you don't like it's three to one <laughs> now for tampa after that that tight 2-1 loss yesterday. Uh, the Blue Jackets were able to shut down the big guns in order to keep that game close, but they couldn't shut down the Barkley, Goudreau, Yanni, Gourd, Blake, Coleman line. Uh, that trio did them in. Both of the goals came from that line. Uh, but, you know, Columbus, obviously... They've done well so far this playoffs. They just, they surprised the Leafs. Uh, they did get that one win against Tampa, and the series isn't over yet, right? So we'll see if they can do something. Wait, aren't they playing today? Potentially. Who's playing today? I know that right now we've got the Islanders beating Washington. Then there's a late game today. Which one is that? Uh, oh, that's it Chicago is and not Vegas. Tampa. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so it's Chicago and Vegas. Okay, so when you're listening to this, the Tampa-Columbus series may still be going, and hopefully Columbus can do well. One guy that's done super well all playoffs long, and I feel like we've mentioned his name a few times. I want to put a stamp on it right now. Pierre-Luc Dubois. I said it's been a coming-out party for Miro Haskinen on Dallas. I think another player who's really stood out this playoffs, maybe just because he had games against the Leafs and everyone watches these games, is Dubois. His assist yesterday brought him to five points in four games of this series versus Tampa. He also played like 21 minutes and 42 seconds in this 2-1 to loss. You know, we've talked a lot about Bjorkstrand and Atkinson and Texier and all these players who are surprising us or disappointing us throughout these playoffs, but I think Dubois is the one whose stock has risen the most in this return to play on Columbus. And, you know, looking at the regular season, Dubois now pays for 61 and 57 points in his past two seasons. After seeing what he's done this playoffs, over a point per game, could you see yourself projecting Dubois for more than, like, the around 60 points that he's had the past couple of seasons when you're making your projections for next year? Or do you think you'd still keep him around the same? You called it a coming out party for Dubois, Elon, but I think you're more on the nose with what you said about Columbus playing Toronto and that bringing a whole lot of eyes and attention to how incredibly this guy is playing. He just turned 22, like two months ago. This was his age 21 season. He's just finished his third in the league. And one thing I'll call back to is in our 31 Beats interview with Allison Lucan, she mentioned how he was able to hold steady after losing Panarin. Like, he had 61 points in 82 games uh, in 2018-19 as a 20-year-old. Then as a 21-year-old, you subtract Panarin uh, from the equation, and he still, he didn't pace for quite 61 points, but he wasn't far off, and all his underlying numbers stayed just as solid. Like, this guy is just being consistently good. So whatever you're seeing from Pierre-Luc Dupois playoffs, know that he's been essentially doing this for two years now, and the fact that he's only 21 years old, or just turned 22 means that we can expect hopefully 
another gear for this former third overall pick in the seasons to come. Like, he's someone I'm so excited to see what his age 22, 23, 24 seasons look like. They'll be his somehow fourth, fifth, and sixth seasons in the league, and I think he's still got more to give. So we've only seen uh, him top out at 61 points so far. I think he's going to get there. I think he could throw 10 more on that, too. Of course, the only thing stopping him is playing in Columbus for John Tortorella, which I I say that sadly, it's not that sad for anyone who wants to win, but for someone who wants fantasy points, it's not a fantastic place to be. So while he's there, I still might cap him at just about 60, maybe 65 points. But you can really depend on him as a solid, uh, a solid centerman who will be on the power play and won't fall out of favor with his coach, which is really easy to do when you play with John Tortorella. But clearly, Tortorella trusts him. He plays a strong two-way game, and that's going to keep him from falling into any dog houses uh, that would keep him from keeping doing what he's doing. Yeah, so basically you did the classic, like, saying a bunch of compliments, but then your answer is actually the the sad option of you think he's going to stick around 60 points. You said that maybe he has upside <laughs> for 70. From these playoffs, we've seen that there is maybe more offensive upside from this Columbus team. We also saw that at the end of the season when Oliver Bjorkstrand, like, went crazy and was getting all these points. Maybe with Texier now in the picture, you know, and he's going to get your older. I, I, I don't know. So you're saying when you make your projection next year, maybe around 60? Or are you, th- like, I don't know. I could see myself maybe projecting 70 next year, but that'll probably just be me looking dumb at the end of the day. I would love to go to 70. I really would. I just don't know that it's possible. I mean, you say that Columbus has been offensive. You have Dubois with nine points in nine games, Atkinson with six points in seven. The next highest scorer, Nick Foligno and Alexandre Texier with four points each in nine games. So like, this is not a team where a lot of offense is available and you do have to create it all yourself. Uh, so I, I don't, I'm just concerned. I mean, I was back in the regular season. I'm like, oh, yeah, Bjorkstrand, 70 points next year is not a stretch. He can do it, except there's Tortorella in the picture. So that's really yeah. – he's like the governor, you know, like a when you have a – like this is a truck driving term, isn't it? Like when you can only go a certain speed limit, even though your your engine is capable of more, but you have something preventing you from doing that. So Tortorella is the governor of Dubois and Bjorkstrand's upside. Yeah, I guess that's fair. Uh, who knows? Maybe they could sign a big free agent. Get Can they get Taylor Hall? I think it's only fair. They lost Panarin. Now Hall's going to be a free agent. I think that would be a nice fit for everybody. But uh, I'd It'd be so off-brand. <laughs> uh, then I guess on the Tampa Bay side of this series, uh, the big guns are doing well, like Point and Kucherov for sure. Uh, Stamkos still hurt, so hopefully he'll come back at some point. Uh, I wanted to point out that Mikhail Sergachev has been playing on the top power play with Point and Kucherov for a bunch of these games, but he has zero power play points to show for it. And like adding to that, Sergachev only gets third pairing minutes on the Lightning with Shattenkirk at even strength. He's behind McDonough and Cernak and then Hedman and Bogosian, which, by the way, Brian, did you know Zach Bogosian is on Tampa? I feel like I keep seeing this and I keep remembering it, then quickly forgetting it. But that's kind of cool. He used to be like a guy that had a lot of upside. It's nice to see him getting big minutes here in this playoff run. Uh, But yeah, I'm starting to have a bit of trouble trying to figure out, like, what do I think of Sergachev at this point? Because on one hand, he's still very young, and you got to imagine there's room for growth, but you see other players, you see, like, Miro Haskinen on Dallas getting huge minutes and taking advantage of them. Then you have Sergachev not getting big even strength minutes, getting decent power play opportunities, but not capitalizing on them. So I wonder, like, obviously, I'm not saying that we should give up on him because of, like, these, like, five playoff games or whatever, but I just wonder if, like, this, like, super high upside that we were expecting from him, I'm just 
starting to get a little bit concerned. I'm getting Ghost Bear vibes. I know that's like my second Ghost Bear reference of the podcast, but that's what I that's what I say when I see a defenseman getting low even strength minutes, even though he gets power play time. It's like, how long is that really going to last? Hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, we've seen him step in for Hedman in the past and not do much with it. We've seen him also be pretty good on the second power play unit and someone who's able to pick up 10, 15 points from there with the man advantage and then toss in another 25 or 30 at five on five to be like to sum up to yeah, another Charlie McAvoy type, right? Like he's like Haskinen, but without having exceeded Charlie McAvoy. Yeah, I guess the big difference between Sergachev and McAvoy, of course, is that McAvoy gets those big minutes. He's gotten them right from the start on Boston. I'm very concerned about Sergachev being on the third pairing. For sure. I, and I think that really does set him apart from McAvoy and from Haskinen is that he hasn't been given those defensive responsibilities yet. Whether it's a matter, it's probably a mix between his level of ability and the amount of other options that exist in Tampa. Uh, John Cooper has more guys, other guys he can trust. I don't know that Tampa's decor is necessarily deeper than Boston's or Dallas's, but in any case, Cooper sees less reason to use Sergachev than Cassidy does uh, using uh, McAvoy, and Bonus uh, does using Haskinen. So uh, that all adds up to less time for Sergachev to get in on points, especially from, you know, a team, you know, you look at Dallas and it's like, oh, well, uh, Klingberg and Haskinen need forwards to be scoring. Like, goals are hard to come by. You might think it's hard for them to come by points. Meanwhile, Sergeyev's on this goal-crazy lightning team, this super offensively capable team, and is, uh, you know, lagging behind. So uh, I don't know what really the answer here is, Elon, aside from that, so long as he's a third-pairing, second-power-play guy, even if he does occasionally get to replace Hedman on the top unit as the quarterback uh, on the power play, I still wouldn't count on Sergachev for a whole lot more than 40 points. Yeah, I'm curious to see if he has upside. And I know, like, it's fun to say how Montreal really blew it with that trade of getting Druan for Sergachev because now they could really use a defenseman and Druan hasn't been that effective. But, like, yeah, Sergachev hasn't been, like, that effective either. But I guess, like you say, it makes a lot of sense that Tampa Bay hasn't needed him to be because they're such a stacked team. Maybe if Sergachev was still on Montreal, he'd be you know, getting a bigger role and maybe producing differently. Okay, let's talk now about the St. Louis-Vancouver series. Another Brian type of series. It's 2-2 after St. Louis won their second straight game yesterday. A lot of interesting storylines here. So where should we start? I guess on St. Louis... I first want to mention that Alex Petrangelo is crushing it. And this guy, we've talked about some goalies, like, earning their next contracts in these playoffs. You know, Cam Talbot's been doing well on Calgary. And, like, we're going to talk about Crawford and some other guys. But, like, Alex Petrangelo is maybe also raising his... Though I don't know. I guess the question is how high can he even raise his stock? Because we already knew Petrangelo was great. But his goal and assist yesterday brought him to five points in the four-game series versus Vancouver so far. That along with, of course, leading his team on time on ice, power play time on ice. Uh, he had seven shots, two hits, two blocks yesterday. So he's just an amazing player in fantasy and in real life. And I feel like St. Louis, how can you not bring him back, right? That, unless you just can't afford him because of cap reasons. But yeah, Petrangelo and Ryan O'Reilly picking up right from where they left off in last year's playoffs. Can't wait to see how the rest of the series goes. It's been really exciting. Uh, another storyline, I guess, in St. Louis is Vladimir Tarasenko played those two round-robin games and the two losing games versus the Canucks before being declared unfit to play for the most recent two games. And the latest news today is that he's done. He's, he's gone home. So I guess this shoulder wasn't completely fixed, or we don't know the full story here, but uh, very concerning. And though I guess at least we could say that we can write off these zero-point games that he had 
because he maybe wasn't fully healed. Uh, hopefully he'll be fully healed going into next season. I'd be concerned about drafting him as high as we usually would have just because I don't know. I'm, I'm concerned about this injury. Like what are your, what's your current thought on Tarasenko? Would you still draft him in like the second round of a, you know, deep league, like, you know, 20 something overall, or would you be nervous and let him fall to someone else? Man, I'd be very nervous. I, I don't know what's going on with him. I, I would like clarity on whether he came back sooner than he should have and, you know, can't, didn't heal completely or if he did heal completely and got it re-injured. Cause one to me is more scarier than the other. And that's if he wasn't a hundred percent ready to go and something got re-aggravated and that's a setback and maybe it won't heal the way it's supposed to now. That concerns me a lot. So, um, yeah. I, uh, I'm a little worried. It's funny to see, and I, not to, I don't mean this to rub anything in Elon, but you know, you've been sort of waiting on him to break out of this 75 point perennial pace to become this 80 plus type guy. Whereas now it's just like, oh, uh, like, can we still hope for 75? If I'm projecting him next year, I'm definitely knocking some off. Like, I still think he's a super talented player, but just without knowing more about his health situation, I'm thinking 65, 70 points would be a safer bet to make just based on how ineffective he was in the playoff, in the playoff action he saw. Yeah, obviously we'll be seeing lots of tweets about how he's in the best shape of his life going to the next season. Make sure to start disregarding <laughs> them now because who knows what they mean. But I, I'd like to see it just to see him doing well. And, and I wish him the best. And yeah, it's going to be a very interesting thing for next year because I feel he's for sure going to fall in drafts. There's going to be a point where it's like super great value just for the upside. But there's risk there that maybe there hasn't been before. Then obviously maybe the biggest storyline on St. Louis we could talk about now. Jordan Binnington led in six goals versus Vegas in the last round Robin game and then five and four goals versus the Canucks in their first two games, leading to Jake Allen taking over for games three and four. He had two straight amazing games, around 950 save percentage in each for those two wins. I assume it goes without saying that Allen's going to be getting the next start. It would be crazy to do anything different. And you got to imagine Bennington Dynasty League owners must be very concerned right now. Imagine if this season ends up being the reverse of last year and Allen takes over from Bennington and then Allen leads them to the cup like how crazy would that be and you know it wouldn't be totally shocking because keep in mind Jake Allen did have the better save percentage in the regular season which we documented on the show he played a lot fewer games but in his 24 games he had a 927 save percentage who was a fantastic backup compare that to Bennington's 912 save percentage in his 50 games so the clues were there that this could happen Brian do you think Allen is gonna hold the job rest of the way and should people who have Bennington in Dynasty Leagues be as nervous as I'm saying? Or do you think this is just a blip in the road and come next year, Bennington's the sure starter and forget about it? I don't know what's more foolish, thinking that Jake Allen uh, can can finally take the job that we thought so many times he could, or that we can predict goalies at all and that it's worth even trying to have this conversation. I will tell you that Jake Allen had... A phenomenal, phenomenal season this year. Now, he played only 24 games, and it seems from the Brian Elliott-Jake Allen tandem days that he does his best work when he is sharing the workload. So I I think I'll finish my thought and then come back to this one. Uh, I I think there just might be something to Jake Allen being a time-split goalie with Jordan Binnington, who didn't do so well under the increased workload. But Jake Allen, the time he did see this year, ranked fifth just behind Darcy Kemper in five-on-five save percentage this season. Actually, sorry, that's all situations save percentage this season. And he ranked second behind only Igor Shosturkin 
in the difference between his actual save percentage and his expected save percentage. So essentially he outplayed his expected numbers more than any other goalie in the league, not named Igor Shostyorkin, who of course played only half as many games as min- and minutes as Jake Allen did. So Jake Allen had a phenomenal season. I'm, a, I'm even wondering what took the Blues so long to go to him. I guess it's just because Bennington took them one time. They shouldn't just ditch him right away. Uh, and Jake Allen is far from a sure thing, but holy gamoli, like uh, Jake Allen is making him a real case for himself to be the starting goalie for St. Louis for as long as they're in these playoffs and to gain another 20 games or so next season. Again, he only played 24 this year. If he keeps this up through the playoffs and can keep even a shadow of it up at the start of next regular season, there's no reason to expect him to play fewer than 40 games. Yeah, obviously a lot could change. Like if he gets blown up the next game, then Vinnington can come in and then he could go far or then he could get blown up himself and then the series is over and then we don't even know because there's nothing more to talk about or or to see. So we'll we'll see. And Vancouver obviously is going to hope that they can make both goalies look foolish by the end of these playoffs. But yeah, it's a crazy story to see Allen taking over like this. And at this point, there's like no question that he's getting the net for the next game to face this Vancouver Canucks team who's... Seeing all the guys you'd expect to get points, getting points, right? Like Patterson, Miller, Horvat, Besser, Hughes, all doing fantastically. Tanner Pearson making for a really nice sleeper pick for anyone who took him in their playoff pools because he's been playing with Bo Scorvat, which for a second I thought maybe I coined, but then I checked on Twitter and like people have been saying that for a long time now. But, uh, you know, Horvat scored a pair in each of the first two games of the series before going quiet in the last two and Pearson was there with him. I wonder if things would be different in the series if Tyler Toffoli hadn't gotten hurt and the Canucks were able to have him in their top six instead of having to decide whether to put Louis Erickson or Jake Vertanen with Horvat and Pearson, because that's what the Canucks are sort of switching between in this most recent loss to St. Louis. Man, it was looking so good at first when they had Pedersen to Foley and Miller and then Besser, Horvat and Pearson. That was just such a nice setup for them. Oh, well. Maybe Toffoli comes back at some point. Maybe it'll be too late. Uh, by the way, Jacob Markstrom, another pending unrestricted free agent goalie who's had a good playoff season. He's got a 918 save percentage so far, facing a ton of rubber over his last few games. Brian, at this point, should we rank, I guess we haven't talked about all these guys yet in this episode, but we definitely have over the past few weeks, all these unrestricted free agent goalies who are currently starters for their teams in this playoffs. We've got Markstrom, we've got Holtby, who, yeah, let's talk about next. He's, he's at the bottom of the pile. Uh, Crawford, Leonard, Talbot, they've all been starters starters in the playoffs and are unrestricted free agents who do you think like i guess it's like two questions right who do you think should get the best contract or like let's rank for who deserves the best contract and who probably will get the best contracts and uh yeah it's a very interesting story because hope the one going into the season that we would have thought was the big money goalie going into free agency and he's been the worst of all of them okay so i'll take them one at a time i i can't get i i don't know that i want to guess who's going to get the best contract uh i i have no it just takes one gm to blow everything up right so i'm just gonna give you my take on each of them so markstrom uh to me or i'll go top to bottom how about that so laner should get the best contract uh, i've been on the laner train for uh i think a couple years now like ever since we started seeing what he was doing with the islanders and then especially once we saw him do what he did in chicago which was the same thing for the islanders but with a terrible barely existent defense around him so laner absolutely deserves the best contract here and i hope that he finally gets it and i, I think vegas would be a perfect fit and it'd be so on brand for vegas to just take this guy that other teams, for some reason, just didn't want and grab an elite player off the trade market or free agency. Like Vegas has somehow built a team 
just by taking other teams' players outside the expansion draft. So good on them, uh, and more power to them if they can sign Laner long-term. Next longest contract I'd give to this group is to Jacob Markstrom, who we've also been sort of following as his, uh, as his stock rises and rises and because he's proving himself to be a legit starter in the NHL. Took him long enough from being that long-ago Florida Panthers prospect to get to this point. But I think he's there, and I think it's uh, pretty much set around the league. The question for his contract is going to be, well, is Vancouver going to fit him in to play with Demko, or is he going to go elsewhere and probably get something bigger and longer? So we'll see what happens with him, but he's the one that I'd want next uh, to give a big contract to. And that gets pretty murky. Between Holtby, Crawford, and Talbot. Uh, Talbot's, I call him an average NHL goalie who has high highs and low lows that all equal, come out, wash out to being, okay, uh, he's a 918 guy or whatever league averages. That was a few years ago. 911 guy, uh, but it's really hard to survive those low lows with Cam Talbot. So you have to be ready for that if you sign him. Crawford, uh, I said this before, I hope he just hangs them up. He has this injury history. I think he should get out while he still can. He's had a good career. He's put up some amazing numbers. He is showing that he's still got it in this series against Vegas. He stole that one win that Chicago has picked up entirely on his own. Uh, but I just wonder if he should still be playing. And then Holtby, he's the one most in danger of getting... I don't know. I don't want to sully the Bobrovsky contract entirely because maybe Bobrovsky's still good and things just aren't working out for him yet. But I'd call what Holt he's most likely to get is the legacy contract. He's the one who's most likely to get paid for past performance, not for recent performance. Are are we going to talk about Holtby now? Because I can save my Holtby bashing uh, for when we move to the Washington Islanders series. Yeah, well, I was trying to wait as long as possible because since that game is on right now. And actually, wa- since you've started talking, I think Washington scored two <laughs> goals. Like, they just tied. It was 2 nothing for the Islanders. And I was about to be like, well, I think we're about done here. But you know what they say? The 2 nothing lead is the hardest lead. You know, you see, in hockey, like, this quote is said for every single possible two-goal lead. I feel <laughs> like, you know, 4-2 to two is the hardest lead to hold in hockey. Or two. I think the line is actually 3 nothing. 3 nothing is the hardest lead to hold. I guarantee you if you look yeah. into the numbers, a 1 nothing lead is going to be the come out as the hardest lead to hold in hockey. I'll bet you teams that are up 1 nothing are most likely to lose of all of the different possible leads you can have. That's just my guess. Uh, but anyway, uh, right now it's 2-2 in the middle of the second. So we'll see. But yeah, Braden Hovey, so far, I mean, who knows? I haven't been watching this game, right? He's stopped 14 of 16 shots. So, so far, he definitely hasn't been stealing the game for the Islanders. Maybe he's keeping them in it now. But overall, he had a weak season this year, his worst ever season and he's had not a great playoffs which is why the islanders went up three nothing in the first place and so yeah at one point holt was one of the best goalies in the league and now i would be very nervous like if i was a fan of some team then they signed Braden holby to a long contract i'd be like what are you doing though i guess we did say the same thing last year about semin varlamov who was having a lot of struggles in colorado and he's had this amazing resurgent season on the islanders and he's having an amazing playoffs himself so who knows, right? Maybe Holtby pulls a Varlamov next year. Maybe he just needs a new situation. But it's just so hard to imagine a team spending big bucks on Holtby, especially if you could get someone like Cam Talbot, who I'm not saying is like better necessarily, but I feels like a pretty similar bet at this point to me. Like I don't see what, why you'd have any reason to expect Holtby to be better than Talbot at this point, based on how they've both looked over this past season. Well, first, if you put Braden Holtby 
on the New York Islanders, he might play as well as Semyon Varlamov. I'm still not, like, Varlamov has had a great season. Good for him, but he's playing in, I'd like to see him do it somewhere else because he wasn't doing it in Colorado on his way out, and suddenly he's a much better goalie. We've seen him have this upside, uh, but I'm just not convinced that it's all him. So I think Holtby probably is a sound enough goalie that he could go to the Islanders and play about as well as Varlamov is. That said, I'm not sure how many other teams Holtby can go to and still uh, do really well. He's This is now year three of subpar in numbers, 907 in 1718, followed by 911, followed by an 897 this season. And yeah, it's being capped off with uh, what is a been a pretty ugly season for Braden Holtby. Elon, you said that the Capitals were losing to the Islanders because of Braden Holtby, which sounds kind of harsh, but it's not untrue. The first two games of the series, Holtby stopped just 50 of 58 shots for an 862 save percentage. And I, I wanted to cut Holtby some slack. I'm like, okay, how many goals did the Islanders score on the power play? Uh, you know, getting these really high percentage opportunities. The answer is just one power play goal of those eight. So Holtby really let his team down. Of course, he had a great game three, uh, stopping 32 of 34 shots, but it wasn't enough giving up the winner in overtime. And now uh, in the elimination game, I, he gave up two goals somewhere within the first nine shots he faced. I'm not sure if it was the first five, seven, nine, whatever. This is not what you want from a star goalie. So no, I'm over Braden Holtby. I think he has to reprove himself at this point. And uh, I would not want to give him a very good contract based on the way he's playing. And I, I don't think he's doing himself any favors. I'd be very curious. I, I think there will be a GM who wants to go long term with him. But if Robin Lehner only got a one-year, $5 million contract, I wonder if there's a, if that would be the the market maximum for Braden Holtby, too. I doubt it will be, because Holtby's, you know, a good Canadian boy with a Stanley Cup. Like, he's got all this other stuff going for him. That's why I call him a legacy signing. Uh, but it would be a mistake to really commit to this guy for any length of time at any height of salary. Yeah, or you would think, right? There's always the chance because goalies are so unpredictable that then he wins the Vesna next year. But that's what you would think for sure. Like, hey, who knows? Maybe Capitals are about to come back in this game and hope he's about to take them on this huge miracle run to their second Stanley Cup. But I wouldn't bet on it because this Islanders team, by the way, is looking really good. You got to go back and listen to the Arthur Staple interview I did because he kind of said this was going to happen, right? He was like, the Islanders, you know, are just this really super well-balanced team. And, you know, they had some trouble in the season midway through because they started having injuries from their bottom six, which aren't the types of things you notice in fantasy so well. But I guess you notice in the real life game because these are like people who play a lot of minutes and are shut down players. And that's when all of a sudden, you know, the Islanders went from being one of these best defensive teams where Varlamov and Grice were just putting up amazing numbers every game. And then by the end of the year, they were sort of doing badly. And maybe you could blame that on some bottom six injuries. Now in this playoffs, everyone's healthy. And the Islanders, like, I, I, you don't see this very often. Going into today's game, through the first three games of the series, there were four players on the team with three points and five players on the team with two points. Like, so no one was over a point per game. They'd scored a ton of goals, but just spread out completely throughout the lineup. And then you look at today so far, and it's it's the same thing. You've got Peugeot from Sezikis and Mayfield, and then Barzal from Letty and Andy Green. So Barzal's probably leading the team now with four points. And, you know, it's just it's a cool team, or maybe it's an annoying team. I don't know, Brian. It's kind of like how you describe Columbus, right? Like, you're going to get a lot of scoring from a lot of people, but I guess not an explosion of scoring from anyone, maybe outside of Matthew Barzal. 
the Islanders are very much a scoring by committee kind of team. Beauvillier uh, and Bailey are leading the team, which just shows it could be anyone over any period of time. It could be Beauvillier, could be Bailey, could be Nelson, could be Barzal, could be Eberle. Uh, Jean-Gabriel Peugeot is getting his name in the mix, too. It's probably not going to be... Anders Lee, like I'm trying to see just how many potential team leading scorers they have. Uh, the fact that they have six, seven, I'll even throw Ryan Pulak's name in the mix uh, is really something. So you never want to go big on one Islander, but if you can sort of collect the set, they're not going to uh, get a whole bunch of points. Like I own Barzal and Aberley in one of my playoff pools, and it hasn't been a whole lot of fun for this round, but at least you know they're going to get you a point here and there, not leave you completely high and dry. Yeah, and the, I actually, what I said before about Columbus signing Taylor Hall, I don't think that's going to happen. But I did, again, in that discussion with Arthur Staple, we talked about how maybe that's a really good landing spot for Taylor Hall on the Islanders. And imagine that for next year. And that would obviously boost up Matt Barzell quite a bit because he's clearly like a super talented offensive player that's, you know, having Anders Lee as his left wing, which is okay, but not someone that you could become a superstar with in terms of fantasy points. And yeah, obviously with Taylor Hall, that would make a huge difference. So we'll see what happens in the offseason. But I think the Islanders are still a long way from the offseason season i think they could be a sleeper team that goes really far this playoffs uh so next okay vegas versus chicago we've already talked about Corey crawford he had that amazing game 48 saves on 49 shots against to help the blackhawks stay in the series and they're playing tonight so by the time you're listening to this you'll already know whether chicago has lasted or if uh, vegas is going to move on and yeah as far as the series goes and coming up with a take for each team crawford is good that's the take for chicago and then for vegas you know all the good players are doing well again kind of like vancouver like stone patcheretti marcia so theodore riley smith everyone's doing basically how you would have expected i guess we would have expected william carlson to have a couple more points but the one name who really jumps out to me alec martinez is looking like He's been such a great acquisition for Vegas. He has three assists in four games so far in the series going into today, playing top pairing minutes with Theodore and getting second power play time. Good amount of ice time, by the way, on that second power play. This is one of those teams that goes not like 50-50 anymore, but like maybe 60-40. And, you know, it's just kind of interesting because you'd think it would be so hard. Like teams are always like saying you got to draft a defenseman or you want to be able to find like these top pairing defensemen who could play big minutes and produce a little bit like Martinez has been doing like you'd think that would be really hard to get Vegas only had to give a couple second round picks to get him and like it reminds me Brian of last year when the Leafs sorry to beat up on the Leafs but they traded Nazem Kadri, this awesome player for Tyson Barry who's a top power play defenseman didn't even play top pairing minutes but you know we were really into that deal meanwhile I wonder if someone like Alec Martinez would have actually been a better acquisition for the Leafs because he's probably better defensively so it's just interesting that you have these types of players that sometimes a smart team like Vegas is able to just pick up for next to nothing I guess a couple second round picks isn't nothing but what an acquisition they've got a top pairing guy and he's going to be a big part I think of their long playoff run well, funny enough, the Leafs went out and got Jake Muzzin, who played with Martinez on the Kings Cup runs. Uh, but, uh, I, I mean, I there's nothing I can really disagree with that you said there. I, I don't know if you might be overstating Martinez's offensive capabilities. Uh, he had eight points in 41 games this season with LA, and he, he's been on a nice little run in Vegas, but Vegas scores more goals, and he's been on the ice for a bunch of them. So I'm not ready to give Martinez a whole bunch of credit, but as somebody who can play 21-22 minutes a night, Elon, you're right, it was a smart acquisition by Vegas to shore up their D. And I am curious to see if he has more offensive upside, right? Because all these low points... He did have a couple high point seasons in LA. We've and this past here. season, 
okay, fine, we've been here, and so far, and it's only been a very small sample, but every time I bring up Alec Martinez, he keeps on getting points, so we'll we'll still, we'll wait and see, but uh, I don't know if you want to put too much weight onto his eight points with LA this past year, as long as if LA was a, known for being a high-scoring team. I'm not going to put weight in his eight points in 41 games any more than I'm going to put weight in his eight points in 10 games once he got to Vegas. Like, the guy, he, he just turned 33, I don't think there's this hidden uh, trove of Alec Martinez offense that's about to become apparent. His career high season, 39 points. And I believe, Elon, in the three seasons following that one, well, yeah, we're still like in that range. I was in 16, 17. He was 29 years old. Now he's 32. Uh, I, I feel like you keep waiting for this Alec Martinez breakout. I wouldn't see him as someone who could do any better than, and this might be a nice bar for you, but someone like Nate Schmidt. Right, who just by being in Vegas and getting a lot of minutes is going to be a 35, 40 point player. Yeah. All right. Well, then maybe call us a hot take or not. I think Alec Martinez next year, if he's healthy, he's going to beat his career high. I think he'll be like a 40 to 45 point guy, get his first 40 point season under his belt now that he's out of that dearth of offense, which is the Los Angeles Kings. I will bet you on that. Okay. So over under 39.5? Done. Okay, put it, write it down. But it's point pace, right? Because I can't control for these injuries and him missing time. That's fine. I'm not worried. Okay, so uh, one last series to talk about, I guess, which would be Montreal versus Philly. They played today. Philly won, so they're up. You know, you hate this, Brian. It's three games to one. Also, boring series. Uh, Not many goals being scored. Carey Price has been amazing. And now Carter Hart has been amazing. It's two straight shutouts. Uh, Montreal had been switching up their lines. At one point, they had Cockney-Emmy on the top line, or I guess second line with Druin and Domi, and then Suzuki playing still with Gallagher and Tatar. And Cockney-Emmy had two goals in the big route in Game 2, where Montreal pretty much scored all their goals of the series. Um, no points in the one nothing shutout on Sunday, but uh, 19 and a half minutes of ice time. So it's kind of cool to see Cockney-Emmy coming out and doing stuff. Obviously, nothing today with the Habs being shut out. And uh, also today, like, the Habs went back to Deneau playing with Gallagher and Tatar. So obviously, they're just trying to figure out a way to get something past Carter Hart. It's not working. Uh, we'll see what happens. I'm not looking forward to watching this Habs-Flyers game tomorrow because I'm sure it's going to be one nothing or 2 nothing for one of these teams. Probably Philly, maybe Montreal. But yeah, hard to imagine that there's going to be much offense or much excitement in this series. Sorry to the Habs fans or, or Flyers fans. But I am excited to see if Flyers move on. They'll probably have some exciting series in the next rounds. A defensive series doesn't necessarily mean a boring series, right? Like, it could be tight. You could get a good one nothing game, a good 2-1 game, a good 2 nothing game. These games happen and exist. If you want a lot of goal scoring, though, look elsewhere because you have two of the hottest goalies in the league going toe-to-toe with one another. And Montreal knows that, like, this is the only way they win a game, right? With God Mode Carey Price doing what he does. So they're going to play to that strength and keep it a shutdown defensive game. The thing with Philadelphia is they have the opportunity, if they want, to play both ki- both kinds of hockey, right? They could turn it on offensively. They have the tools there. They can clearly turn it on defensively. Uh, they're showing that they have the tools there too. But it's been a real bummer for anybody who in their playoff pools went heavy on the Flyers. Uh, this round has just been a real big bummer. In one of my pools, I think uh, I-, I have 18 players or 16. Four or five of them are Flyers. One of them is Carter Hart, which is great. But the rest is just like... They're winning games. They're the better team, but I'm not getting any points out of them. Couturier, finally, in game four, finally gets his first point of the series. It's nuts. So hopefully next uh, next series we get to see the more fun and exciting side of Philly. 
Well, if things go the way they're looking now, I would think they would play the Islanders next. So I don't know if they're going to have a lot of goals. That's another yeah. team that's really good at shutting teams down. So I don't know about your Flyers picks. Who would you want them to play? I guess you would have wanted the Leafs to like move forward and then them to play the Leafs. And there would have been a lot of goals in that series, probably. But yeah, Carter Hart, uh, obviously, there's a lot, just like with the defenseman, right? It's really hard to pick who's going to be the top goalie next year. I think in drafts, everyone's going to take Vasilevsky. But I think there's a very good probability that maybe Carter Hart will end up being the guy you would have wanted as the first goalie, even in a one-year league. I think in a dynasty league, the cat's out of the bag. Like Everyone wants Carter Hart, unless you're like already on the next slate of goalies, like getting in on Shistjorkin or Sorokin, who's going to be coming up on the Islanders. But uh, Hart is uh, really doing fantastically two straight shutouts i saw he was like what was it the second youngest goalie ever to have two straight shutouts in the playoffs and the first one was some guy from a long time ago that i'd never heard of so good for him good for carter hart and good for philly it's so crazy even that we're saying this right this is a team that never had a good goalie and now they have like one of the maybe the best goalies in the league so how about that how about it it philly has waited long enough of course they had bobrovsky at the start of his career and traded him so let's just hope we'll we'll make sure that philly hangs on to carter hart for two or three years before knowing for sure that they know what they've got and they're ready to finally have their franchise goalie (laughs) stick around for a long while I mean, come on. I don't think Bobrovsky was playing like this. Otherwise, they would have been too crazy to trade him. And hopefully they've learned whatever lessons. Hart's not going anywhere. He's the heart of the team. Oh, good one. He's He is the only heart on the team. Bobrovsky had a great first rookie season in Philly. He had a 915 save percentage, but then they didn't seem to trust him. His next year there, he had just an 899. But I, I, I think there's a chicken and egg question there. And then they sent him off to Columbus where he was a 932 and a 923 and a 918 and a 931 and a 921. So uh, Philly had someone. they And they had the best look at him. And they're like, ah, you go somewhere else. Even though we've been looking for a goalie for like 30 uh, years since Ron Hextall. Uh, ne- yeah. It's harsh. You're being harsh. Because like, I mean, Toronto had Tuka Rask. The Chicago Blackhawks had Dominic Hasek. Like, if the goalie hasn't broken out yet, we don't know with these goalies. They they could go either way. Like, yeah, but Brovsky had a but he did. He had season. A, he had a crazy good rookie season. Quality start percentage was almost 66%. Okay, so fine. So they blew it big time. Like, obviously, it's easy to say in hindsight, right? I'm sure there's been lots of goalies who've had good rookie seasons and then didn't have careers like Sergei Bobrovsky. But <laughs> point taken. Oh, my god. So, goodness. Brian, with that, I think we're through. We've given at least one take on every single team still remaining in this playoffs. It's been a blast talking to you, and it's been a blast streaming live on YouTube. Thanks to Gohol and Matthew and anyone else who's been watching us. And thanks to the listener for downloading the podcast and supporting us and listening to us all throughout these playoffs. We're going to keep churning out these episodes until we're done. That's the plan. Okay, but we'd love to hear some feedback. So tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. We always love to hear from you. And if there's a particular topic you want us to cover in an upcoming episode, you know, the playoffs are a weird time. There's only so much to talk about. So if you have a fun idea, shoot it at us. Maybe we'll do it. Okay, so that's at Keeping Carlson. If you want to support the show, any amount of money, you know, like a dollar a month on Patreon, we're going to give you all the perks we can throw at you. So that's our monthly patron cast, access to our Facebook group. We've got this Discord going. We're trying to come up with fun things. Okay, so join the community if you're interested. Uh, you can see all the info at keepingcarlson.com slash patron. But with that, let's cue the outro music. And Brian, why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? I will, but before I do, Bobrovsky's rookie season, 9.15, league average, 9.13. Going into that season, league averages were 9.11, 9.08, 9.09, 9.05. Philly should have... Anyway, we've had... How wow! Have we, we've definitely had this conversation. He had a .02 save percentage higher than league average, and they let that go? 
Oh my god. What was he, like, ranked, like, 20th overall? Oh, what were they thinking? I just can't believe... I think you're, like, the only person still debating this. I I thought this was, like, dead and done. This was not an active conversation. Uh I'm not debating in terms of, like, obviously it was a mistake because Bobrovsky turned into a Vesna-winning goalie, but I feel like at the time, find me the articles written at the time that were saying that this is, like, a terrible move and they're going to regret it. I'll wait. When you're searching for a goalie forever, like it's becoming an existential crisis for your franchise, and you have someone come in in their rookie season and beat the league average, and then you like half bury them the next season and then ship them out the one after that? Come on. Okay, so can you remind me? Obviously, I wasn't there. Uh, You'll have to remind me of the context. Who did they have that they expected to be their starting goalie and the reason why they traded away Bobrovsky? And who did they trade Bobrovsky for? you got to remind me all of this. I don't know. I feel like you're putting a lot of weight, though, into uh, average rookie season and then thinking they should have known that he was going to be a Vesna guy. First off, above average rookie season, uh, you want to know the trade? It was... So what Philly did, they had Bobrovsky, they went and signed Ilya Brizgalov to that huge massive contract because they thought he would be their goalie of the future instead of their actual goalie of the future. I mean, Brizgalov was an okay bet to make, but it was just weird when you've been, wait again, waiting forever for someone to come along. Uh, they traded Bobrovsky to Columbus for Columbus's second round pick that the Flyers used to draft another goalie, Anthony Solars, a fourth round pick that they picked nobody with, and a fourth-round pick that they also picked nobody with. So they pretty much traded him for nothing. Okay. You don't like Stoli the goalie? <laughs> oh, my God. All right. I'm kidding. Uh, this episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dover Hockey and powered by our patrons. Uh, logo art by Brandon Weeb. Outro music by the famous Pat Roach. This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Natural Stat Trick, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, Charting Hockey, Hockey Reference, Hockey Biz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Fantrax. Great job as always, Brian. And looking forward to doing this again with you next week. And until then, what are we going to do? Keep on keeping Carl Sun.